listening to the house of mercy on the water's edge was a man who met the savior so the gospel said waiting there he was with the lepers and the lame till an angel it was told down from heaven came folks tuned in from all around near and far just to listen to house of mercy waiting for the waters to stir we're just listening to the house of mercy waiting for the waters to stir. We don't really need a God who is above and beyond it all. We don't need the absolutes. They are an invention of the Greek mind. We need relationship. We need hope. We need love. We need a God to be able to do something about the mess, the violence, the victims of history. That's a reading from the Reverend Mark Stenberg from his book, 51% Christian, which I highly recommend. Welcome to the House of Mercy podcast. Thank you to everyone listening. Really, it would feel so lonely if no one was listening. So I am glad you are here. We are fortunate to have the Reverend Mark Stenberg here with us tonight. Well, actually, it'll just be the voice of Mark Stenberg from the past But I've already listened to the sermon, and it is very of the moment. So be happy that that is in store. Mark, probably most all of you know, is one of the founding pastors of House of Mercy. He's a great scholar and writer, and we miss him. You might notice I'm doing this alone today. Russell is in Portland or L.A. I can't keep track of where he is, but he will be back. And I do believe that we will all be back together in the future, though probably not very immediately. We'll keep you posted. But for now, sing along at home or in the car, wherever you are. This is the House of Mercy and welcome to it. Please join me in the prayer of invocation. God of mercy, though it isn't easy in the middle of all the quaking and roaring, the fear and animosity that seems to be permeating the air that we breathe, lead us to some fresh pockets of mercy and help us inhale them. Lead us beside still waters. 
Maybe it's too much to ask to lie down in green pastures, but we pray that you will restore our souls. Amen. May the peace of Christ be with you. You know, you might think, because this is a podcast, we don't really expect you to sing along, but we do. So join us in singing House of Mercy hymn number 28, I Shall Not Be Moved. petition with God in your mercy, and I invite you to respond. Hear our prayer. God of mercy, we pray for peace, not without justice, not the kind that allows the powerful to keep hurting people without as much financial or political power, but still some peace, some way to move forward without violence, some relief from our own feelings of mounting indignation or hopelessness or anger or despair. We pray for peace in our hearts and minds, at least some passing moments of it, so that we can engage with the world nonviolently, without self-righteousness, without believing in the us versus them. I'm sure you're aware that is tricky these days. Help us. 
God, in your mercy. God of mercy, help us not to be too distracted by the sound and fury, but rather able to focus on what contributes to the common good, regenerating the soil, loving our neighbor, caring for the commons. Remind us of all the good things that we can do when we feel paralyzed or small in the faces of the much larger forces that tend to consume our attention and help us to be able to embrace the small, our little loves, moments of kindness, even a little fertilizing of the soil, this moment or the next. God, in your mercy. We pray for those who are suffering, who can't breathe because of what is in their lungs or on their necks, or grief that is like a weight in the diaphragm, depression that crushes the possibility of liveliness, anxiety that grips the chest like a vice. We pray that we may be well, and all manner of things may be well. We pray for healing. God, in your mercy, Help us to bring to mind what we are grateful for or whatever it is we might bring before you as we pause for silence. God of mercy, hear our prayer. Amen. The reading tonight is from the book of Revelation, chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. The great multitude in white robes. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. 
Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The word of the Lord. Praising God is a transforming experience. When we praise God, we tap into our deep desire for God. These are not my words. They were sent to me by one of my students, let's call him Tom, in an online preaching class that I teach at Luther Seminary. How do I respond to this sermon with these words that seem so churchy, so religious, Praising God is a transforming experience. Really? When we praise God, we tap into our deep desire for God. But what if I'm honest and I admit that I don't really desire God? I mean, I don't desire God, at least not in a tangible way that I desire a chocolate milkshake or fresh baked bread or a five-mile run on a beautiful sunny spring morning or going on a road trip through the Canadian Rockies with my kids. Maybe this is my problem. See, I grew up in a church where I was sort of forced to emote. We knew prayer as standing in a circle, holding hands, trying to outdo each other with our earnest desire for God. The best speakers were the ones who had the most dramatic testimonies. You know, heroin addiction, prostitution, Satan worship, circus life, roller derby, swing dancing, testimonies designed to make you laugh and cry and pull out your checkbook. And there was this constant pressure to emote, to praise, even if you felt nothing but doubt and confusion and anger. So there's a part of me that doesn't trust this formula that praise is transforming. Sure, it might transform me as an individual. It might change my perspective, which could be a healthy thing. But what about our very dark, hungry, violent, and tragic world? What if, at any given moment, you feel more protest than praise? And then you're left with a double whammy. Not only are you unable to praise on command, now you feel like a total freak and a monster for not being able to feel all those feelings that the other people are feeling. Today, in our reading from Revelation, we have one of these big praise scenes with people in white robes waving palm branches and shouting out their praises, and it makes me start to twitch. I don't really get this praise thing. And if I don't, will I ever really be happy at the end of the world? You don't like to praise God? I can just hear that voice of shame. Well, you'd better get used to it, son, because in heaven that's about all we're going to be doing for eternity. And then I feel even worse, the shame 
for having felt bad about the praising. Well, thank God for a couple of Bible geeks who have given me a whole new take on the book of Revelation. Barbara Rossing and Craig Kester have done these brilliant and very convincing political readings of Revelation, and they have changed everything for me. John the Elder was making trouble in Rome. He and his followers refused to bow down and worship Caesar. Jesus is Lord, they said. Jesus is Lord and not Caesar. Not knowing what to do with him, as we often do with our prisoners, think Rikers Island or Alcatraz, they put him on this island and locked him in a cell where he writes down his vision in which the beast is Caesar. The whore is the seven-hilled city of Rome, and we wait for the return of the lion. In today's lesson, a multitude, all shapes and sizes and colors of people, are pressed around a throne, and they are praising. They are worshiping God. They are worshiping the Lamb. And they are waiting for the end of the world. The ending. The resolution. The scroll will be opened and all will be revealed. All things set right, made new, justified. The end. But in an instant, there is great sadness and weeping. No one is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. John, the visionary, begins to weep bitterly. He cries for all of us in our fear, our anxiety, our helplessness, our suspicion that mercy and hope are merely comforting delusional lies we tell ourselves. But as John's head is bowed in tears, in the midst of his weeping, he hears the voice of an elder. Do not cry. The lion is here. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Yes, of course, the lion of God will defeat the monster that is Caesar and his wealth and his armies, the Caesar who kills and pillages and conquers and rapes. The lion will stop this sheer madness, this evil. There is hope. John hears the roar as the lion approaches. But when he looks up, he does not see a lion. He sees a lamb. There is one who is worthy to open the scroll and reveal to us God's works and ways. Not the lion, but the lamb cut in two and covered in blood. John hears the lion. But he sees the lamb. The lion is about power. The lion is king. A lion doesn't bleed. It spills the blood of others. A lion doesn't get devoured. It does the devouring. But the lamb is a victim. The one who is slaughtered. The one whose blood is shed. Our first impulse, like John, is to look for the lion, to look for God to return with vengeance and wrath and punish our enemies. But it's not the lion who saves us, who redeems, who gives us our life back. 
Only the lamb who is slaughtered can reveal God's ways, God's purpose for us and for all of creation. And now finally in our story, we get to the big praise scene, the big dance number at the end of the world. And I start to get all fidgety and twitchy because I am among the praise challenged. But this vision of praise is quite different than anything else. The slaughtered bloody lamb is about to open the seventh seal and reveal the end, the completion, the fullness of time. And right there, gathered around the lamb, are these humans who are dressed in white robes. They are the ones who are coming through the ordeal, the Bible says. The ones who have hungered and thirsted and suffered. This white-robed multitude They sing songs and they wave palm branches. Their daring hymns are boldly defying the Roman Empire. Salvation and blessing and glory and power belong to God alone and not to Caesar. That's the undercurrent we've been missing. This is a new exodus led by Jesus in which God calls Christians to come out of Rome in the same way that the Israelites are to come out of Egypt. These are the ones who are coming out of the great tribulation, the thlipsis. Who can stand up to the violence of the empire? Who is able to stand? These ones, wearing their white robes and singing. They sing, they praise, only through the mercy of the lamb, the lamb who was slain. This praise is different. Because this God is different. Think of all the victims, those who have died and been forgotten. The hungry, the thirsty, the baby-faced soldiers forced to fight and to die. Refugees, suffering wives and daughters. My grandmother and other victims of rape. Matthew Shepard, a gay college student who was beaten to death and hung on a barbed wire fence on the outskirts of Laramie, Wyoming. His body was mistaken for a scarecrow. In this vision of John, all the victims of history come to life and gather around the throne and press their bodies against this lamb. The victims now become the center of the story. They are no longer helpless and forgotten. In fact, the ones closest to the Lamb become the center, the core, the source of all praise. It was like this all along. We just had a hard time seeing it. God was there all along, hidden with the Lamb and his sacrificial love. Every week, all around the world, Churches gather around this table, and many of them sing this ancient song. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Have mercy on us. Lamb of God, grant us your peace. We may not be martyrs. We may not be victims of history. And yet, as we join in this praise, led by the martyrs, washed in the blood of the Lamb, this praise dispels our fear, 
our helplessness, our anxiety, this praise for the lamb, this scarecrow who tricks the accuser, the origin and author of all violence, and this scarecrow sends him away. And today, the best word I have to tell you as your preacher is this. The lamb is your shepherd. You need nothing else. The lamb calls you to lie down in green pastures and leads you beside still waters. The lamb restores your soul. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, you do not fear because the lamb has been there. And the lamb is with you. The lamb steers you with his crook and keeps your feet from stumbling. And this lamb does more than just protect you. This lamb invites you to praise, even in the presence of your enemies, to relax and to enjoy a meal together. Because of this lamb who was slain, goodness and mercy will follow you all of your days and you will dwell in the presence of the Lord and praise this lamb forever. Praising God is a transforming experience. When we praise, we tap into our deep desire for God. My student Tom, he had more to say, including this line. When I first found out that the cancer had spread to my chest, I was afraid of dying. Today I am afraid of not living. Dear Tom, I am sorry that I was so arrogant, such a cynic. You are much closer to the lamb than I. Closer. Please, Praise God for me, that I might be transformed. Praise the Lamb, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is God's table. And all are welcome. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and gave thanks for it and broke it. And gave it to the disciples to eat, saying, Take, eat. This is my body, broken for you. Do this and remember me. And after supper, Jesus took the cup. And gave the cup for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and shed for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this and remember me. In these troubled times, Lord, what are we to do? In these troubled times, Lord, what can see us through? Oh Lord, oh Lord, how long should we cry in 
troubled times, Lord, what are we to do? In these troubled times, Lord, what can see us through? Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, are these your signs in these troubled times? In Troubled times, Lord, what are we to do? In these troubled times, Lord, what can see us through? Oh Lord, oh Lord, how long can we cry in these troubled times? Now may the Lamb lead you, guide you to the springs of the water of life. Go in peace, surrounded on all sides by the love of God. Amen.